Well, welcome to all of you to worship. It's good to be with all of you. For those of you worshiping online or with us here in the sanctuary, it's a pleasure and a joy to be together with you this morning. My name is Craig Brown. I'm one of the pastors here at First Free Methodist Church. Happy Thanksgiving in advance to everyone. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving is the correct response. You're working at it. One of these days, I'm going to get you all to talk back with me in the middle of a sermon. It'll come together. Let's try that again one more time. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Oh, yeah, see that? Very well done. Well played. Well played. I appreciate that. Sermons are dialogues. Remember this. Sermons are dialogues. And sometimes the dialogue is happening in your mind, and it's okay for you to give it utterance on occasion. Unless you totally disagree with me, then I'd rather you keep it to yourself. <laughs> All joking aside. Now, one other thing I wanted to share with you. To this afternoon, Bettina and I are hosting the Plate and Prattle. So, Eight people in the life of our church have signed up to come to our house at 5 o'clock, and we're going to have dinner together. It'll be a lovely evening. There's only one problem. We don't know which eight of you are coming. Uh, we had a registration page set for it when we first announced them, and, and eight people dutifully registered to come to our house for the plate and prattle tonight at 5 o'clock. That registration list was lost. Somebody turned it. Uh, we don't know how it happened. It got turned off on our website, and so all the people who said they were coming, poof, they're gone. We don't know who you are. So if you're one of those eight people, note to self, we'll look forward to seeing you at five o'clock. If you're not one of those eight people, yeah, note to self. That's all I can tell you. You're not one of those eight. So we'll look forward to seeing you. Otherwise, Bettina and I will sit down to a giant crock pot of soup together with a couple spoons. It should be exciting. Today, we are continuing a series of messages called Safety Measures, and we started last week by talking about what the series is about. For three weeks, we're going to explore boundaries and how we can have healthy boundaries in our life. Now, last week, we talked about the need for boundaries and that there are such things as boundaries for us. Now, today, we're going to turn to a much more difficult topic, and I'm just going to warn you in advance. This is a hard one today. And the word that Jesus has for us in Matthew chapter 7, part of the Sermon on the Mount, is challenging. And so as we talk about boundaries today, what we're going to try to talk about is this. Is on the one hand, we have the call of every single follower of Jesus to live a life of sacrificial love and care that's embodied in mercy and grace to other people. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, is the call each of us have to protect ourselves from cycles of abuse, being taken advantage of and exploited. Those are the two tensions. Now, we spend a lot of time in the life of the church focusing on the importance of sacrificial living, sacrificial love, the giving of ourselves to others as Jesus would call us to do. True. But what we spend very little time talking about is the other end of that tension. How do we protect ourselves from cycles of abuse and being exploited and taken advantage of as we offer those gifts of unconditional grace to other people? So we're going to try to explore that ground today. It's going to be difficult. And for many of us, it's going to touch on sensitive subjects because you yourself may have been an individual who was abused as a child. You may have been abused as a spouse. 
You may have suffered exploitation in one form or another at some time in your life. And the hope is today that as we talk about some of these difficult topics, you're going to be able to get some sense that that Jesus has a word for us in the midst of that. And that word is about healing, yes, but it's also about how we can establish healthy boundaries in our life together. And so the essential question that I want to ask you today is lifted from a 1980s pop song. Should I stay or should I go? And so we're going to talk about the stay part first. We're going to talk about the go part second. How do you know when you should stay? How do you know when you should go? And how can you hold that tension? So let's start with the stay part. The stay part has to do with these early verses that we heard read by Marianne just a moment ago from Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. And so Jesus is somewhat clear about this. Don't be judgmental. That word for judge in Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 doesn't mean to be without judgment. It simply means not to be judgmental, to be judgy, shall we say. We're to avoid that characteristic in our life. Don't be judgy, for in the same way that you're judgy, you'll be judged. Now, when we read that, it might seem like there's some kind of strange reciprocation, like karma going on in the text, where it's like, well, if you do this, you're going to get it back twice as bad as you gave it. There's a little bit more going on beneath the surface there that I want to spend some time talking about. The more judgmental we are, the text tells us, the more we become blind to our judgmentalism. So Jesus uses this metaphor in Matthew chapter 7 where he says, how can you look at the speck in your brother's eye with a plank in your own, spoken like a carpenter's son, would you not say? Is the man familiar with sawdust and boards? He certainly is. So it comes out of this this narrative of Jesus' own life that if If someone has a speck of sawdust in their eye, but you have a proverbial log or plank in your own, how are you able to see it? And this is really subject to the law of diminishing returns. The more you try to judge and find the speck in other people's eyes, the bigger the plank gets in your own. And this is Jesus' explanation as why you're judged when you're judgmental. A person who's judgmental lacks a certain connection with the mercy and the grace of God. That if you've truly received mercy and grace and forgiveness through Jesus Christ, and you have a rounded experience of that, and you say to yourself, I know the forgiveness and grace of God that I am not deserving of, that I am not worthy of, that I have not earned, but God has given it to me freely. So you receive that kind of mercy and grace from God, but yet you dispense judgmentalism on others, do you see the disconnect? There's a way in which you've received something that you have not embodied for others. And this is why the plank gets bigger. The more you look for the speck in other people's eyes, the bigger the plank gets in your own because all it's communicating is your lack of connection with the mercy and grace of God. So the more judgy you get, well, the more it's revealing of how little you know of the love of God in Jesus Christ. Because if you knew it, you wouldn't be judgy. You wouldn't be judgmental. It seems like a simple enough teaching, but it's quite hard for us to master. 
Remember the series of messages we just finished a couple weeks ago on gratitude? If you were part of worship during that time, we had spent four weeks talking about gratitude. When we live a life that is hypercritical of others and judgmental, it betrays our lack of gratitude. It reveals what we've become. Now, this is an important part of that tension. Remember that unconditional love, that way in which we offer ourselves to others, the decision to stay. There are going to be times when people do things wrong to you. And Jesus says your response to that is to love your enemies. Any argument about that? We don't like, that. We don't like it. <laughs> but there's no argument with it. It's not lost on us in 2023 that we increasingly live in an uncivilized age in which the imperial way we hold our opinions has become traumatic for people around us. I mean, you're going to have Thanksgiving meal on Thursday. There's one topic you're not allowed to talk about above all other topics. And we know what the topic is, but it becomes difficult for us to negotiate around it at times because it so influences the way in which we see the world. Yes, I'm talking about your politics and the ways in which even the Christian community has been baited into this culture war that in some ways is artificial and is more smoke than fire. So how do we participate in those things without being judgy? without sizing people up, without being hypercritical, somehow at times even implying that people are nefarious and filled with conspiracy just because we don't agree with them. Fascinating. Judge not, lest you be judged. So when we talk about this topic of stay, and when should we stay? When should we love our enemies? When should we, as Jesus told us to do, to turn the other cheek? Well, this has to do with what we're talking about. Judge not lest you be judged. For by the same measure you judge others, you yourself will be judged. So let me just leave that there for a minute. I know we're not quite done with that idea, but let me just leave it there for a minute. And I want to talk about the question of go. When should you go? When is enough enough? When do you have no more cheeks to turn? When does the moment come where you say, no more, I, I simply cannot endure this any longer? Well, that's Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. Now, there are some scholars that think Matthew chapter 7, verse 6 is completely disconnected from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5, the five verses that come before it. And I would argue they go together because what they're trying to do is help us to hold attention. Don't be judgy. Don't go around judging others because that's part of your call to love your enemies, to put up with people at times that you disagree with, and to even learn how to love them. But on the other hand, do not, do not give what's holy to the dogs. Do not cast your pearls before pigs, for they will trample them down and they'll turn and attack you. Seems like an odd verse sitting in the middle of that text there, doesn't it? It does to some degree. Remember, I talked a little bit about this in the podcast this last week, that dogs and pigs were derogatory terms used for Gentiles. 
So even after Jesus has just told you, don't judge other people, he then tells you, don't give your pearls to what? Swine, and don't give what's holy to who? Dogs, two derogatory terms used for Gentiles. So Jesus is name-calling the very next verse after when he just told you not to judge others. So you would say, oh, well, Jesus is entitled. After all, he is Jesus. Nah, there's more to it. There's more to it. And, and so let's talk about what Jesus is trying to help us understand here. When we're sharing something that's valuable and important and significant, we don't want to share it in a way in which there's absolutely no return on it. And even when abuse is going to be returned to us, don't give what's holy to the dogs. Don't give pearls to pigs. Jesus talked about this later in Matthew's gospel. He talks about it in Mark's gospel and in Luke's gospel. Remember where Jesus sends the 12 out on their little missionary journey, and he says, I want you to go to these different towns, and as you go from town to town, preach the gospel, heal the sick, and, um, and if people welcome you, then you should stay there. But then remember, in all of the instructions Jesus gave, whether it was to the 12 or to the 70, what's he say? If you go to a town and they do not welcome you, what are you to do? Wipe the dust off your feet as a testimony against them and leave. So this verse in Matthew 7, verse 6, shouldn't surprise us, should it? Jesus has already made it clear that there's going to be moments in which you are not welcomed, when you're not accepted, when there's no opportunity and there's no openness, that there comes a time where you should wipe the dust from your feet and move on to the next thing. Move on to a place where there's possibility. So how do you know that? How would you know if you went to a town and you were unwelcome? How would you know that? They would say something. They would do something. They would indicate in some way that you're not welcome. Even Jesus went to two different towns that it's recorded in Luke's gospel, and they ran him out of town, one of which was his hometown. How would you know? Well, you would know because you're going to have to, wait for it, judge. You see, Jesus' prohibition in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, isn't against judging. It is against being judgmental. Different things. Judgmental is a way of life. It's a lens through which we see everything. It is the hypercritical eye in which we go around pointing out fault in other people. And in fact, all we're doing is pointing out our own fault because we haven't understood the mercy or grace of God at all if we're going around pointing out the fault in others. But when you go forth and there's this pushback or this rejection or this way in which you're kind of baited into a cycle of abuse, well, judgment's required. Jesus isn't telling us to never judge. He's telling us to stop being judgmental people. Now, I have to be honest, what are we most well-known for as Christians in 2023, especially in the city of Seattle? Being judgy. <laughs> Friends, that has to stop. Friends, that has to stop. Now, that doesn't mean it's just a free-for-all and chaos. What it does mean, though, is that if the first thing we're known by is, is being judgy people, we've done something wrong. 
We've done something wrong. We've missed perhaps an essential message of Jesus somewhere along the line. So where do we find the balance? I think we find the balance in this verse. Let me read you another passage of scripture that may help, or it may upset you, one or the other. Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 23. It says this, And it happened as he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was in need, and he and his companions became hungry? How, they, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And so what we are keen to hear in that story is that, that Jesus is saying, Well, since I made up the Sabbath, I get to decide when it's enforced. I, that sounds a little arbitrary. Instead, let's listen to what Jesus is trying to tell us. It was common in the ancient world when you harvested a field that you wouldn't harvest the corners of the field. That's actually in the law, the Jewish people in the book of Leviticus. And the reason why they left the corner of their field unharvested is that those who were the sojourner in the land, the stranger, they could come and pick that grain and they would be able to eat. So it's the Sabbath day. Jesus and his disciples are walking along and as they're walking, his disciples put their hand out and pick up grain off the heads of these stalks of wheat and then rub them together to remove the chaff and then they would eat the grain and the pharisees said why are your disciples picking grain on the sabbath judgy do you hear it judgy and then jesus turns around and says to them something important about the sabbath after he explains this old story about david how david was on the run from his son one day and he ran into the temple and he grabbed a bunch of bread he's not supposed to eat and he took it with him because they were hungry he hit the drive through <laughs> jesus says something that is so important for us to hear that we read right past it the sabbath was made for who man human beings and not human beings for the sabbath the teaching sounds quaint, doesn't it? So here comes the upsetting part. I'm going to take the word Sabbath out, and I'm going to put a different word in and see how upset you can get. <laughs> marriage was made for man, not man for marriage. Hmm. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of marriage. Am I bugging you? You see, what Jesus is suggesting is there's a way that we have to understand that that which God gives us is designed from its outset for our benefit and our blessing. It is not designed from the outset for our torment and our abuse. God's design for our lives is not 
that we be suffering under abuse, but that we live in vital whole relationships with one another, and that there has to be a way in which we understand when we're to be in those moments where we're called to suffer, we're called to live sacrificially, where we're called to embody God's mercy and grace, God's mercy and grace to others, and there are times in which we must walk away. We must leave. We know it is not completely foreign to walk away from the cycles of abuse. Jesus tells us, when you go to a town, they don't welcome you, leave. He went to his own hometown with friends and family and people he knew, and they ran him out of town, so he left. The complexity of what Jesus is trying to teach in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6 is hard because he's telling you whatever you have that is precious, whatever you have that is important, whatever you have that is vital, you are not to enable other people's sin with it. When we choose to live in systems of abuse, when we choose to live in systems and structures, where we are constantly victimized by those that would do evil. Those are the moments we get to ask this question. That's not an automatic, should I go? You're entitled to ask the question, should I go? Because there is a space in what Jesus is telling us where we're allowed to ask that question. We're allowed to weigh seriously whether we should go or not. Sometimes we're not supposed to, but sometimes, yes, yes, we are. So going back to Jesus' teaching on Sabbath that I flipped around on marriage for you. If a person is married and their spouse is abusing them emotionally, verbally, or physically, should they stay in that setting and in that moment and in that relationship just because it's the Christ-like thing to do? Don't answer that. Very difficult. And I told you all this was a difficult subject to hold because marriage wasn't made for our abuse. It was made for joy fulfillment and love it's the gift of god for those of us who are called to it just as singleness is the gift of god for those called to it wow when i first came to this church i had a lot of folks who asked me why why are you here Why would you leave California? The sun, the sun, it shines there. It's warm. Why would you come to Seattle? Why would you come to a city that has had, well, a nationwide reputation of being an unwelcoming place to Christians? Why would you come to a city where there are more dogs in the city right now than there are people in houses of worship? Christian, Jewish, Muslim, pick your religion. Why would you do that? Now, there's lots of reasons why. May I offer one? Just one. 
When I was uh, in college and seminary, I lived at home. It was very economical for me to do so, and I commuted back and forth to school. And then when I finished seminary, I was in the United Methodist Church and part of their ordination process, and in their ordination process, once you've completed it and you've finished your schooling, the bishop appoints you to a church. And so the bishop appointed me to serve a church in Capistrano Beach, California. Did I choose to live in Capistrano Beach, California? No. It's where I was sent. And after I was in Capistrano Beach, California, for a number of years, the bishop came and said, we're going to move you to the United Methodist Church in Thousand Oaks. And I said, where's Thousand Oaks? (laughs) Off I went to Thousand Oaks. From Thousand Oaks to Mission Viejo in South Orange County, and from Mission Viejo to San Diego, from San Diego to Sacramento. At the age of 54 years old, there had not been one moment in my entire life where I ever got to pick where I lived. (laughs) What that had become for me, friends, was a place where my emotional, spiritual, and vocational well-being were at risk. That system which is a good system, for me, became a system of abuse. And the healthiest thing I could do for the sake of myself and for my wife and for my family was to leave it. Was to leave it. That's one reason why I'm here. Because I had to find a a setting, a place that was life-giving, that was holy, not just a place I could choose, but choose a place where I could be in ministry and serve God the way I felt like I needed to serve God with people that wanted to do something for God in an amazing way. And here we are. I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful to be with you. And I'm so thankful... thank you, but not necessary. (laughs) Here are the testimony, the takeaways I want to give you real quick, very quickly. One, as we tried to glue together the parts of this text, take care to not enable the sin or brokenness of others. Take care to not enable it. And sometimes by being present in a situation, it's enabled. So take care to not enable the sin and brokenness of others. Number two, know the line when your sacrifice becomes someone else's abuse. Know the line when your sacrifice becomes someone else's abuse. Third, This is the hardest one of all, and there's four. Trust that it is not your work to save and rescue others. Trust that it is not your work to save and rescue others. You know, we're called to live sacrificially. We're called to live lives that are modeled after Jesus. But let's never be confused that it's Jesus who died for the sin of the world, not us. That it is Jesus' sacrificial gift on the cross that redeems all things not us. It's God that saves people, not us. Number four, 
act for your own well-being without falling into selfishness or bitterness. Act for your own well-being without falling into selfishness or bitterness. Jesus in the short text is so clear, isn't he? Judge not lest you be judged. For if you're a judgy kind of person, somewhere along the line, you lost your connection with mercy or grace and gratitude. But do not give what's holy to the dogs. Don't put your pearls before swine. Don't do those things. So the call to respond today is, well, kind of unique. Where do you need to let God do the saving work instead of you? What relationship do you need to commit to? And is there a relationship you need to walk away from? Is there a situation you need to stay in? Or a situation that you need to leave? Where do you need to stay? Where do you need to go? These are heavy questions to ask. The promise is, is that God is with us in the asking of those questions. Friends, the only way you can know if you should stay or go, search the scripture, pray, seek wise counsel, and God will lead you where you need to go or where you need to stay. So why don't we begin by doing that right now? Let's pray. Lord, we pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus, who is the Savior of the world, that, that there are moments in our lives when we just don't know. Moments in our lives that are just covered up in ambiguity. There are times, God, it makes us feel better when we can be judgy. It feels like we're in control of something. But in fact, God, you want us to know so deeply in our being what it means to love, to love sacrificially, to love in a way that conveys the miracle of your presence. But this day, God, we pray that you would help us all to not confuse that with the work of trying to save people. For that's not our work. For those in the sanctuary right now that are living in cycles of abuse, bondage, unjust suffering, I pray, God, that you give them a deep word of your peace. I pray, God, that you speak to them a word of liberation. I pray, God, that you would open wide the doors of your infinite love. For no matter what our circumstance, no matter what our situation, you walk with us. We are never alone. So, God, give us the discernment we need in every situation in our life, in every relationship, of whether we need to stay or whether we need to go. Going is hard work. So we pray, God, that you give us the courage and strength to do those very things. 
as we gather around this table, oh God, we are thankful for the gift that you have given us in Jesus Christ. For only he has the power and grace to always stay. And for that, God, we give you thanks. We remember the night Jesus gave himself up for us. And how he took bread, and after he'd given thanks to you, he took the bread and he broke it. He gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, the Lord Jesus took the cup, and after he returned thanks to you, he gave it to the disciples, saying, Take, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, God, we offer ourselves to you this day in every relationship, in every situation, in every moment we're in. Teach us, God, how to have healthy boundaries, how to live lives of sacrifice and service as you have taught us in this very meal, but also to live in a way, God, in which who we are is never diminished, for it is a gift from you. Pour out your Holy Spirit then on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. We give you thanks now and always for the abiding presence of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, as we pray together the prayer he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.